This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've been podcasting now about six months on self-work, so I'm so glad you've joined me. Today, we're going to be talking about narcissism. What exactly is narcissism? It seems to be the mental health word of the decade, or at least a lot of people are talking about it. I can remember when borderline was like that, as well as bipolar. So we want to make sure that we're clear about exactly what narcissistic traits look like. You can also hear people talking about narcissistic personality disorder, but what exactly is a personality disorder? What can look like narcissism, but may not be narcissism? I wrote a post one time called, Not Every Jerk is a Narcissist, so let's make clear what exactly narcissism is. And then five things you might want to do if you commit to loving or being in a relationship with someone with narcissistic tendencies. It's not the easiest thing in the world to be in a relationship with someone with these problems, but everybody deserves to be loved. So today, we'll be talking about lots of factors involved with narcissism. So what are the primary characteristics of narcissism? Basically, there are three of them a very grandiose or self-important attitude, the tendency to seek excessive admiration, and a lack of empathy. These folks have a terrific sense of their own importance that can be impatient and critical. They'll blame you for problems. And many times, if you're not for them, they can believe that you're against them and you'll get emotionally cut off. A metaphor I've often used to try to explain how this feels to the recipient is if you're a puppy and someone's playing with you and then they go in the other room and shut the door, what does that puppy do? Scratches and scratches and scratches on the door between them, wanting to get in again. And that's how the person feels who is trying to love a narcissist and gets emotionally cut off. Someone else told me once that it's like being on stage and when the spotlight is on you and the person with narcissistic tendencies, then you feel like that spotlight is totally on you, It follows you everywhere you go. It's warm. It's wonderful. Let's not forget that narcissists frequently use a lot of praise and admiration in the beginning, but then can begin to pull away and abandon the person that they've been so interested in. When the spotlight is not on you, and as on the person with narcissism and the next person they want to have in their world as their own little personal satellite, you are alone. You feel like there's no light. You can't see anything. It's cold and lonely. So you can tell that being in a relationship with someone with narcissistic traits can be difficult, but there are ways to both help them and you cope with it. Because the important thing to remember is there is massive insecurity underneath that persona. So there are narcissistic traits. Someone can have a few of these characteristics. Maybe they're not great with empathy or Maybe they need a lot of attention, but they have some wonderful personality traits as well. Then that's called having narcissistic traits. As far as a personality disorder, that means that there are more of these traits kind of clumped together. 
what a personality disorder is, and I can assure you there are long, drawn-out <laughs> definitions of personality disorders, which I'm not going to give you today. Basically, what a personality disorder means is that someone has a way of interacting with both their own being, for example, perhaps they're self-destructive, or there are impairments in how they relate to other people, and this is consistent. It's not just that they can't get along with you, (laughs) or they're struggling to relate to one person. They struggle to relate in a healthy way with everyone. Now, just to sound scholarly on the topic, (laughs) I'm going to give you the characteristics as defined by the DSM-5, which is basically the diagnostic manual for people like me, psychologists, psychiatrists, other mental health practitioners. So we'll quickly go through these. There's a grandiose logic of self-importance, a fixation with fantasies of infinite success, control, brilliance, beauty, a belief that he or she is extraordinary and exceptional and can only be understood by or should reconnect with other extraordinary or important people or institutions, a desire for unwarranted admiration, a sense of entitlement, interpersonally oppressive behavior, meaning that they tend to dominate in relationships, no form of empathy, there are two more, Resentment of others or a conviction that others are resentful of him or her. And last, a display of egotistical and conceited behaviors or attitudes. Now, again, this person doesn't sound very pleasing to be with or someone that you would be attracted to. However, it's important to talk about that these people aren't necessarily getting up in the morning and intentionally harming or being manipulative. They may or may not be aware of some of these problems. I haven't said yet that men are more prone to have narcissistic traits or actually narcissistic personality disorder than women. We don't really know why. It has a sister personality disorder called borderline personality disorder, and there are more women who have that or display those characteristics. Psychology doesn't really understand why that exists. It just does. But there are other problems that share narcissistic traits and I think it's important to talk about those as I said a couple of minutes ago not all jerks are narcissists but it doesn't mean they don't have problems of their own and I'll use the pronoun he simply because there are more men however there are definitely female narcissists so what are other reasons that men may treat their partners badly he could be sociopathic sociopaths lack a conscience They hurt others just because they can and they don't care. Again, the chief bridge here is about entitlement and empathy. He also could be an addict, an alcoholic, or have another addiction that governs his moods. Addicts don't take responsibility for their actions and definitely will blame you. He may be addicted to sex, porn, or other substances and feel very, very entitled to his addiction. His abusive behavior could be learned. He may have seen his father treat his mother cruelly. He may have been abused himself. Perhaps he was taught it was okay to demean women and have a rigid belief in a male-dominated authoritarian culture. In this instance, again, there's usually a lack of empathy or sensitivity. But at the root of it, he may have been abused himself and is repeating that abuse by becoming a perpetrator. Again, It's not a good situation. That's a horrible situation to be in. But it may not be pure narcissism. 
Lastly, he could be depressed. There's definitely a lack of empathy in especially severe depression, and it certainly can look very self-centered. Depression can be converted by many men into agitation and anger, so that sort of impatience and even emotional cutoff that you see in narcissism could also be expressed in depression. So really, with any of these issues, the person themselves has to accept that he's got a problem. That's probably not going to happen, that acceptance, with true narcissism or sociopathy. And it's difficult in the other three as well, but perhaps there's a chance. So who are the people that are attracted to narcissists and want to try to love them? Maybe you're one of the ones sitting here listening to this and going, oh my gosh, I'm really attracted to people like that. Because again, because of their sense of being special and important, they often can be quite glib and fun and fascinating in their own way. So if you're in a relationship with someone with narcissistic traits, you have to disengage from the battle that has more than likely been raging between the two of you. Maybe it's been kind of a quiet battle, but it's still been ongoing. Your fight to have him believe you, to have him value you, perhaps like he did in the very beginning of the relationship, that fight can go on and on and on, and you're not going to win it. I believe there's some really basic things that are so important in any relationship, but especially in one where narcissism is a part of it. First and foremost, don't get stuck arguing with him about how you're a good person. You have to stay more detached. You have to stay not as emotional. One of the things that a narcissist is very good at doing is something called gaslighting. He'll say things like, you're remembering that wrong. It actually happened quite differently than that. He questions the reality of your own memory and thinking, and actually this can cause you to feel kind of crazy because what you believe is real is completely discounted, and he'll even tell you you can't trust your own mind. It can be very manipulative. Second is to confront how demeaning he has been to you. Challenge the words he's called you. And if it's caused you to get depressed because you've absorbed it, then get some help. A typical narcissist might say, I love that dress, but are your legs really your best asset to show off? He'll give a compliment and then undermine, undermine, undermine. Another technique is he'll blame you. He'll call you words that perhaps he is himself. You're so selfish. You're so controlling. And you may soak that up and believe it yourself. By the way, some of these quotes are from Robin Reich in an article she did on 10 Things Narcissists Say, and I'll have that link in the show notes. I thought she did a great job of capturing the way a narcissist may tend to talk to the person they're in the relationship with. Then I think this is very important. You have to take responsibility for being attracted to the narcissist's initial charm, the -the over-the-top attention you first received. I've been interviewed in the Huffington Post in their HuffPost divorce section on narcissism, and one of the other quote-unquote experts in the field talks about how a narcissist can love bomb you. I'll try to have that link in the show notes as well. And that love bomb can go off, and it hits you, and you've never felt more amazing or more loved, but unfortunately, that goes away. 
What I'm suggesting you take responsibility for is you didn't view this correctly. No alarm bells went off for you. You didn't see warning signs that were more than likely there. And why? Perhaps it's because of your own shaky sense of worth. Perhaps you were tired of being alone. Whatever the reason, you've got to recognize you're part of the dynamic. If you do this, it's much more likely that you'll be able to detach from what keeps you stuck and maybe even remain in the relationship with this person, but do it in a healthier manner. The fourth is to realize how your strengths are manipulated. Someone with narcissism will seek out partners who pride themselves on taking responsibility, who are very conscientious and work hard to please. You're trying so hard to love that you may even deny how abusive things have gotten. And someone with narcissism will manipulate that and use it against you. For example, again, to quote Robin Reich's article, he'll say things like, come on, you know, I didn't mean it that way. You're just so sensitive. He's taking the fact that you do take responsibility for who you are and what you offer in a relationship where you question, you know, am I sensitive? Is this me? Rather than seeing it and hearing it for exactly what it is. The fifth thing is to reconnect with friends and family that perhaps he's ridiculed or he's isolated you from. This is a technique that, again, people with narcissism don't get up in the morning and plan and manipulate, oh, how can I get her away from her family? But they need your attention so much that they're threatened by other people's viewpoints who may actually see the dynamic between the two of you and warn you against it. So they'll say things like, They don't understand our relationship. They've just never felt love this strong. Sound familiar? If it does, perhaps you're trying to connect or love someone with some narcissistic traits. The sixth one and the last one is if you're going to stay in this relationship, you've got to decide that you can tolerate that the narcissist will tend to blame you. There's not going to be healthy closure for an argument. Now with time... And perhaps with persistence, if someone works really hard, they can see their own narcissistic tendencies and begin to try to address them. It just doesn't happen all that often. But I'm an optimist, and so I believe that it can happen. But if you stay in the relationship, you have to use these commitments and this new understanding of how you're going to act in the relationship. And be prepared if you begin to detach and be more direct and have an information-only kind of response, especially when there's conflict, then know that the person with narcissism will escalate his controlling behavior in response to you changing. He won't like it. So you have to be prepared for that. And if you leave, things will likely get worse. Divorce where there is someone with narcissistic traits involved can be awful because the children will be involved. You're likely to watch them go through a similar process that you did, where they begin to realize that the narcissistic parent is unwilling or incapable of providing true love. And it's very difficult to watch. Let's summarize these six points. Don't get stuck arguing with him. You have to detach and non-emotionally engage. Confront whatever demeanment you have soaked up. Realize that you were a part of taking responsibility for being attracted to his initial charm, and you need probably to work on that part of yourself that was vulnerable. 
realize how your strengths are manipulated, how your tendency to be very responsible could be part of the problem. You reconnect with friends and family and decide that you can tolerate that the narcissist will likely always blame you. Again, as I said a few minutes ago, I tend to be optimistic. I'm a therapist. I've got to be optimistic. But not too many narcissists actually come into therapy. People who are trying to love someone with narcissism come into therapy. So whether you stay or go, you have options. And it's going to be hard. And please get some support. Today we have an email from one of my readers of my blog at drmarketrutherford.com. And she says, I read your article regarding divorce's effect on children. I have scoured the internet to find articles on how divorce affects children who are grown and married, some with children of their own. And there's hardly anything out there, at least that I can find. I know each of my children have reacted differently, but it would be helpful to hear from other grown children who've had this happen to them when their parents have been married at least 30 years or more. I thought this was a great question because... I know that it does affect adult children, and perhaps we don't focus on it as much because they are adults. So I did some digging, and I found some really interesting articles, things that, and I'll have the link in the show notes. The major points made are that to realize that your divorce will actually, what this article says, rock our world, meaning that it's tough for adult children to see their own marriages as the same, and certainly they're not going to see you the same. And it takes time for them to get accommodated to you being divorced. The other huge difference can be that parents tend to involve their children, especially their adult children, more in conversations about why they're getting divorced or what the other person did wrong. This happens with children under 18, sadly enough, but it tends to happen more with adult children. They, they really don't want to be in the middle. The other thing that I see a lot of is the anger that they feel that their child has to hear that their grandparents are no longer together. An adult child can handle it for him or herself usually, but it's their child that gets hurt. They don't understand. It scares them. And so finding some way to present yourself to your grandchildren that is amicable can really help your relationship with your adult child because they can be ferociously defensive and protective about their own kids. Basically, what adult children of divorce are saying is that they just want you to realize the impact of your choice. Just because they're over 18 doesn't mean it doesn't have a significant impact on their lives as well. So, guess what? (laughs) We're talking about empathy again. It's the parents not letting the divorce sabotage their relationship with their children and grandchildren and realizing that it's going to be hard for everybody, at least for a while. Way too many people move on way too quickly and expect their family members to do the same. And that's just not healthy. So, thanks very much to the reader who asked this question. Great question. There are lots of ways of getting in touch with me, and some of you are beginning to email me, which I'm just absolutely delighted about. 
My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com, and I'm the only one who sees that, so feel free to leave me information that you only want me to know. My website where I blog weekly is drmargaretrutherford.com, and I'm on Twitter at dr underscore Margaret. What I'd really so appreciate you doing is letting your family and friends know about self-work. I know that I'll be far more likely to read something or tune into a podcast that a friend of mine has said, ah, this is really pretty cool. I like this. So I would love it if you did that. I'm so excited that there are people in the United Kingdom who are listening. Chicago, I have a lot of listeners in Chicago. I still don't have any listeners in North or South Dakota. (laughs) So come on. (laughs) You Californians are also tuning in. And of course, my loyal following in Arkansas, thanks so much for that. There are several of you now who've done ratings and reviews on your own. And the last reviewer, Diane, thank you so much. And yes, you probably did find me on the Huffington Post. Thanks, you've been a listener since my first podcast. I so appreciate you leaving review. I've done this myself, and it's not all that hard. It just takes a few minutes, and I would very much appreciate it. And subscribe. That really gives me the message that people are looking forward to the next podcast. So thanks again. I'll look forward to hearing from you in some way or another. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work. Self Work.